Today's show is sponsored by The Wandering Owl. TheWanderingOwl.com Imagine yourself under a starry sky, around the warm glow of the sacred fire, as your hosts Sarenth Odinson and James Stovall talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? Railed in the arms of Yorth, held in the boughs of a tree, you have come, you have come, O one-eyed one to see, down, down, through the tree, you and your brothers go, newly flooded waters recede, our ancestors you know, they lie upon the shore, Driftwood in the water, dripping with blood of Ymir's kin. You take us from the slaughter. You bring us in from the shore. You give life to us and blooming hue and good things too. Ah, what a rush. And so Osk and Embla rise from water and from tree, and you set us upon the Midgard plain, and all there is to be. Set in motion long ago, in days before we knew, before we had sense, before we had life, before we had breath too. From Ur's own hands was woven Verdandi's threads anew, and scold who knows what she holds in store for me and you. But here we stand, here we are, in thanks and honor. Hail to you, O Holy One, O great and powerful All Father. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You're listening to episode number nine. I am James Stovall, joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Sarenth Odinson, who just uh, read us that remarkable poem and prayer. How are you doing tonight, Sarenth? Doing really good. <laughs> uh, doing thank real you, everybody, good. for joining us on Around Grandfather Fire. We... Uh, as you know, you can find us uh, many places online, your favorite download host, your favorite podcast host. You can also find us on our Tumblr page, find us on various places around the internet. And we hope that you're going to find us and share the show with a friend. Help us get the word out for our show and the things that we're doing here. Also, make sure that you're uh, giving us a good review wherever you're at. If you're listening to us through iTunes, those ratings really help us a lot. It helps other people find our show. So if you could take a moment and give us a good review, we would really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we're, we are doing this hoping to uh, share a lot of things with you. We've got a lot of other interviews coming up, and we hope you've enjoyed our last few interviews. And we just ask if you could take a moment and share the show. We'd really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, folks, because uh, this this has been an exciting adventure for us so far, and we want to share this adventure with as many people as we possibly can. So please, you know, whether it's a reblog or whether it's a share on Facebook or a share on Twitter, please get the word out. Um, and 
let your friends know what's what's going on. If you have questions for us, you can email us. Uh, my email is sarenth at gmail.com, or you can hit me up at at sarenth on Twitter and sarenth odinson on Instagram. Yep, and I'm at uh, jim at thewanderingowl.com is my email address. You can find me on Twitter as uh, james at the owl on Instagram as wanderingwhitehat. And uh, thinking of Facebook, you can find us on our own Around Grandfather Fire Facebook page as well. So make sure you take a look for us there. You can join in, post information, uh, suggest a topic, send us a message, do all kinds of fun stuff like that. So we're hoping that you'll join us and continue to keep joining us. So thank you so much. Yep, and our, our app of choice for the show is Anchor. So the cool thing about Anchor is that if you want, you can send us audio that we can use on the show. You don't have to send us email if you don't want to. If you want to get on the air, <laughs> this is one way to do it. So you can send us audio through Anchor and let us know what you want to talk about or what you have to say. You can react. You can do all kinds of wonderful things through the Anchor app to interact with us on the show that we can use in our next show. Yeah. So, Sarah and I, this show, we're going to try to get caught up a little bit on what's going on with each other. And There are quite a few listener questions, thinking of listener questions, that have been sent in through our Facebook page and uh, through Twitter and a few other spots. So... We're hoping that we can get caught up a little bit on some of these questions and get caught up with each other on this show. And um, I don't know, is there any particular place that you want to get started, Sarah? No, just uh, just came off a four-day weekend. My supervisor <laughs> was really nice to me and signed me up for having uh, both Thanksgiving Day and uh, I guess uh, Thanksgiving Eve now. I don't know. <laughs> oh man! But I got those you. two days off. It was nice, wasn't it, having a little extra time off? I only had oh, one additional man. day off from my normal schedule, but still, I'll, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of shocked me because uh, I didn't realize he'd done that, but apparently the, the book had gone round for whether or not you wanted to work it. He had just marked me down as, uh, nah, <laughs> while I was gone on vacation. Well, that's nice. He so. must be figuring you've got a family and wanted to spend some time with him. Mm-hmm. So, and the, the mandatory O2 that I was going through was kind of petered out for a bit, so... So life is starting to get back to some semblance of normal, and, and sleep is a good thing. <laughs> sleep is a really good thing. You know, it's amazing how much uh, a lack of sleep affects our spiritual work. You know, that was something that was really pointed out to me, uh, having a little bit of extra time off. When I woke up this morning, I'd actually had normal human levels of sleep, and I kind of thought, wow, this is amazing. And then I was so energized. I, I went today, and I, I've been doing a lot of journaling. I did some journey work. I've done some much of the other spiritual things, and it's just like, it's amazing when you actually have that energy to work on these things. It, it makes a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that not only has my productivity picked up, but everything has shifted. Uh, especially since going out with my elder and doing some big cleansing work and doing some other work in between. I mean, being able to do that started off with me being able to get decent sleep. So yeah, it's quite revolutionary when you're able to actually snag more than four hours. Yeah, go, go figure. More than four hours is good for humans. We, sh- we should not be shocked. You know, it really it points out something, though, how much we work against our natural human cycles anyway. I mean, even if you talk about the time of year we're entering with it being so much darkness and everything else that 
the natural human instinct is to, um, you know, back off a little bit, quiet down, be introspective, to not journey outside as much. But our our modern economy will have nothing to do with that. Yeah, it's it's weird just how divorced we are. And I mean, I'm I'm even more divorced because I'm I'm a midnighter by choice, and it's it's interesting to listen to people talk about how. Um, well, aren't you tired all the time? Well, no, no, not if I've gotten the proper amount of sleep. I, I don't. Well, you know, people who work midnights live five less years. And I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, and then you get to points like this where, oh, yeah, I've been running and running and running. And now it's, oh, it is like taking a big breath of fresh air after you've been running a marathon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, even when I was working third shifts, I remember that there was times when I was trying to do, it was weird because in some ways, utter exhaustion actually can kind of be conducive. It's that middle ground where you're just tired. I think that it is weird, but um, because it slows down for me, it just becomes kind of muddy. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you're awake for like 48 hours straight with no sleep, you can get some amazing sort of hallucinations and then also spiritual work happening. It's kind of hard sometimes to tell the difference between one and the other sometimes, but you know, there are, there are some amazing <laughs> things. I remember one time very specifically, I was carpooling at the time and just very exhausted. And I was luckily not the one that was driving that night. And I was in the back of the vehicle and I could lay my head back and the vehicle we in that allowed me to look up and out the back window up at the stars. And even though we're on the highway and they were playing the radio and chatting occasionally, that sort of thing, I had the most amazing journey work that 20 minutes for that drive. It was really kind of astounding. Oof. Yeah, sleep depth is a powerful thing. <laughs> it is. It's really crazy, you know. Forget the mushrooms, man. Let's go with some sleep deprivation. That'll change it. Oof. So, like, can you talk a little bit about the journey work you did and kind of dig into what happened and how you differentiate regular old, yep, I'm tired and I'm seeing stuff from this is definitely a spiritual phenomenon and I'm doing while well, I'm in sleep depth. Right. Okay. So for sleep deprivation for me, like kind of the hallucination sort of thing that, that sort of happens. Um, that can happen with your eyes wide open. Obviously you're seeing things, but it's, it's very, um, scattered, I guess is the difference. Like for me, it's, um, all those movie flashback scenes or, or things you've seen on TV where someone is having hallucination and things rapidly skip. To me, that's sort of the same thing. The The continuity of the story is not there. Where if it's journey work, uh, it tends to be more realistic and it has more of a narrative feel, if that makes sense. So do you, do you get impressions like, for instance... Um, so hallucinations, for, it sounds like for you, when you're in sleep deafness, just hallucinations, no spiritual influence, it sounds like it's it's mostly visual information. Yeah, so, I would agree with that, yeah. So your sleep depth where you're doing journey work, it involves not only like an actual sort of plot, if you will, where you can make sense of it, but it also involves more sensory information? Yeah, yeah, it involves more sensory information and a lot more... Um, yeah, I think visual is probably a good thing to key in on because I will, if it's just hallucination, especially brought on by sleep deprivation, there's a lot more ragged images, you know, there's just images of stuff flying in and out where 
uh, journey work is a lot more conversational. There are things I can interact with. There's uh, things I can get information from. That doesn't mean necessarily that there aren't sudden little bursts of information here or there that are kind of kind of unusual, but I don't know. It's very hard to, to put the finger on the difference. A lot of it is probably just going to boil down to self-awareness. Like when I was mm-hmm. in the car, even though there was definitely a sense of tiredness there, um, it was the familiarity. Like I've done a lot of journey work before, so when I'm in the vehicle and I kind of feel a certain way and the the narrative is there i don't know it just it was a difference that's that's uh might be hard to explain to somebody else also i guess another factor in there is awareness of your spiritual self right because when you're doing journey work mm-hmm. part of your spirit in 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 your northern traditions i think it'd be the hammer right that that leave Mm-hmm. and actually go somewhere. So in my traditions, more the the wirakocha or the pakpo, the, the energy bubble. So there's actually something that leaves you that takes that journey. And if you have an awareness of that, it's a huge difference between that and just sort of random tired information. If that, it, it, I'm, I don't know if I'm explaining that well enough. For the no, no, that makes a lot of sense. That makes because, a lot of sense. Like when I'm guiding uh, journey work, if I, am, if I am drumming and I'm guiding people through some sort of journey work, um, I'll especially if it's a group situation, I will sit there and watch their energies leave their body. And then as the facilitator or the drummer, it's my job to watch their energy bubbles, watch their alternate selves go places and do things and keep a sense of when they might be uh, in some sort of situation where they need to be pulled back or when the journey is actually over, when they retrieve the information they need. So there's an actual component that leaves and through enough spiritual discernment and practice, that's what you would actually keep an eye out for that really helps you figure out what's what. So when you do group journey work, do you sometimes go as a side along, like to see what they see, to provide them kind of clarity on what they might have seen? Or do you are you just like um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a one or the other. But are you just kind of like the physical anchor and you're you're like, OK, well, you've left. Good job. I'm going to sit here and keep drumming and be the physical anchor. Yeah, it's going to it's going to depend on the situation. Right. Because if there's only one person, if I'm working with a particular client or student, I might be inclined to sort of go with and because they're going to see things a little bit differently than I do or I will a little differently than they do. And that information might become important or I might actually be doing some of the work and they might be observing me do some of the work but in a in a group situation when there's so many people to keep track of once you get more than one person really all I can do is is anchor and monitor from afar keep a sense of what's going on and that's what I'm really going to depend on my spiritual allies to very specifically keep an eye on those individuals with their specific circumstance and what's going on that makes sense because okay. I obviously can't be in, you know, five, ten different places at once and really process that information well, but Jaguar would be able to, Condor would be able to. So that's when I really start depending on my allies to help with that work. At least that's how I see it. Well, that makes a great deal of sense. You know, you're, you're only human, and 
especially with the the big spirits that you were just talking about, it makes sense they could process all that information at once. Yeah, I didn't really intend for this to be. I, I was just kind of making a flip comment when we got into this, but it's interesting to think about the difference and and uh, what the difference is between that hallucinatory sort of work and, and journey work. And yeah, really, those are what it boiled down to for me. You actually have part of you that's leaving, and uh, and that's the part that needs to be kept an eye on, really. So. Well, I think it's I think it's pertinent because of the the overemphasis in some circles on the use of hallucinatory substances or just hallucinatory methods to be able to differentiate a trip or a hallucination from oh this is a genuine spiritual phenomenon that's happening to me and they can be one and the same. Right. Well, you know, I think it's important even even on your internal landscape. Like I can sit down with a drum and I can uh, go within and see wonderful things and have a lot of information come to me but it's not necessarily a journey because it's not external but that doesn't necessarily value one over the other and so i think there's a lot of emphasis on sometimes on on going without and finding something when really what we need to do is explore that internal landscape that makes that makes a good deal of sense when i um did the prayer starting off you know it wasn't quite a journey but i I uh, had a little bit of whiskey and offered to Odin and Loki and Dionysus and then imbibed some for myself. And the poem that came out of my mouth, it was just, it was what came. Mm. And sometimes the process of, of spiritual work is just something that kind of rolls off the tongue, so to speak. And there's no predicting it. It's just you either go with the flow or you're impeding the flow. Right, right. Actually, I would have so thought the, you had that wrote down. It was so wonderful. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I think that this is something that, you know, getting away from just hallucinations. I think that um, from what you're, you've, you've talked about, it's something that we can engage with any of our, our senses, including the spiritual, where, you know, not just sleep deprivation, but any kind of big enough stressor or big enough thing that takes us away from where our center is can kind of knock us into this altered state mm -hmm. where things can happen and we can be open. Yeah, because uh, my, my mentor, Matteo, always talked about uh, the different states of consciousness and, and how important they were. And it wasn't it wasn't always that one was better than the other. Obviously, there's there's different ones and and you get different things from them. Like one that she was really easily pointing out and a lot of people I think will understand is that sort of um, obsessive artistic sort of mode. Like when you get really into a project and you're just kind of flowing with it and you can barely kind of see outside of that project, you know, you can only see the next line that you're going to draw or the next, uh, you know, thing that you're about to place in the mandala or, or anything else like that, that, that sort of artistic vision is an altered state. And it's, and it's just mm -hmm. as powerful as some of the journey work or some of the other internal work. There's just all these different states and it's a matter of understanding them and, and making use of many of them. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're doing NaNoWriMo right now. Right. So yeah, you're, exactly. you're yeah. hip deep in this. <laughs> yes, I am. Yep. It, it occurs to me from you saying that, that NaNoWriMo is probably one of the, the biggest secular trance states we have in this, in this country. It really kind of is, if you think about it, because the encouragement is there to just write, to not worry about what you're writing, 
That'll come in a second draft. That'll come with editing, but to just flow, just keep writing. And that flow of consciousness, I bet, I bet many people come to the realization when they go back and look at what they wrote, how much of their internal landscape is in there and things that they've either dealt with or are dealing with are in there. See, and I think that, <laughs> so I, I did NaNoWriMo once and I, I had to stop halfway through and in part because my internal editor was like, oh man, we got to fix this. This plot line needs to connect here. I have a, a really hard time tamping down on my inner editor unless it's something like poetry because when it's prose, it's, well, here's grammar and it needs to flow right. <laughs> so I, I admire you being able to do that. And seeing the word count you've been able to crank out is just awe-inspiring. No, thank you. I I wish I was further along, honestly. I made a mistake and went back and reread a couple passages, and it threw me off for about a week where I kind of fell out of love with the story I was writing a bit, and I had to set it aside. I'm back on it now, but I had to, I had to kind of set it aside for a little while and come back to it, and, and that allowed me to kind of reread it as a, a, a person new to the material would, and decide oh yeah those passages weren't so bad okay let's keep going i think i think that kind of applies to spirituality too though you know there there are times where you know i just wrote this journal article maybe i should wait on that for a while <laughs> oh yeah I mean, like something from that you're going to write and publish on like live journal or wordpress or something well, i mean that or or just your own personal spiritual notes like say you just took a journey and you know you've written down your initial impressions and the last thing you want to do is is not let that percolate a bit just you know write it get it out of your head and then come back to it sometime later rather than your internal well in, in my case the internal editor taking over and go you know did you really did you really mean it oh, that way yeah i see what you mean that's definitely true that's definitely true because if you start uh yeah, write down your initial impressions and then and then you can go back and start thinking about it because if you think about it first, you'll never get it out and on paper the way that it occurred. Yeah, and for me anyway, I got to leave it the hell alone for at least a week otherwise I'm going to sit back and go, "Oh, did I really mean, you know, my internal editor will take over and go, "Did you really mean it that way? Was it really just some sort of psychological trauma you were feeling in the moment?" Da, 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 da. Yeah, I, I put I put too much in, in front when I I go back and read too early. Um, there are some blog posts where I will sit on them for literally months before I publish them to decide whether or not the stuff that percolated was what, what I, what I actually want to say. And I could have, I could have a finished article just sitting in my draft folder for four months because I'm hemming and hawing over it. Is that really what I want to say? <laughs> Rather than just saying it. I think you and, and, uh, and Nick kind of suffer from that more than I do in some ways because, um, you guys have so much of the written word in in the work that you do where the the writing that I'm doing is just purely for enjoyment so it doesn't have the same I don't know it doesn't have the same sort of stress level I think in some ways yeah I I can I can definitely see that academia has impacted my ability to enjoy creative writing mm -hmm. because there are certain forms that you have to stick with in order to get this paper approved, get an A, whatever. And if it doesn't come up to snuff, it's it's wrong. <laughs> and that's that's really kind. Of, in, in a lot of ways, that's the antithesis of creative writing. I'm supposed to hand it off to an editor once the manuscript's done, and not supposed to edit it while I'm doing it. 
Yeah, definitely. At least not, especially not when you're in the middle of it. Yeah, and I, I think that that's kind of a hobble in some cases, especially when it comes to spiritual writing. Is you know, I need to be able to to directly communicate how and what I mean without trying to jump in front of my own process. It's one of the things that I admire about how you express things is that it's it's very raw and refined in the same blow because you you've ta- clearly taken time to think about how you feel about things but you're also you're not filtering it you're not writing for an audience you're not trying to get to this some idealized plateau where this makes you know it's perfect sense to everybody in all and sundry i think that a lot of times people can get in front of their own feet and trip because they it, it's it's the the how what's the old there's a police in our heads and we need to kill him. <laughs> right, right. I, well, I appreciate that. I appreciate how much that uh, that you write and, and the thoughts that you put in because you really think about things when you write them out on, on layers of subtlety that are very well thought out and that I don't always get to, honestly, to be, to be frank about it. There's times when I, I probably rush my thoughts a bit too much. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's the opposite. I, my brain is not wired for, for uh, educational or or uh, you know collegiate level writing. That's just not that's not me. If I have a talent, it's right here on the microphone, or if, if it's sitting around people with people around a fire, talking to them and and drawing them out. And that's really where you know it's just. I think it's just a difference on how our minds work, especially when you have such uh, so much more uh, collegiate level education than I do I, I think for me it's kind of it, it, and maybe it's it's for you too. there's kind of an element of grass that's greener on the other side <laughs> um, it could be you're very well true I mean because when you when you speak and you speak very well and, and I say this to somebody who's done drama and done you know uh, a lot of extemporaneous speech and all that so much of you shines through when you speak that you can tell there's not really like as many filters in the way it's hi you know uh this is this is what i i feel this is what i'm expressing uh, one of the the clearest pictures for me is when you're doing like peruvian fire sorry carol fire ceremony or when you're doing work for a client and especially when you and i were tag teaming divination sessions you know, I'd sit back and ponder and think about the root, and then you'd just rattle something off, and it would, everything would click into place, like <laughs> like you'd set a magnet at the bottom, and all these metal pieces go and line up. It's like, oh, that's what I was missing. <laughs> well, probably true. Probably just like the conversation with the, the strength and diversity of, of these uh, states of consciousness. There's strengths in the way that we approach stuff, and so you know, we just have to look at at uh, what's needed for any given situation, I suppose. Yeah, that actually, it brings to mind a lot of the, the collaboration efforts that, that go on, um, both the things we used to do when, when we were doing Divination in the Owl, and just in general, I think there's a lot of power in community that, you know, with so many solo practitioners, I think people can miss out on if, if they uh, just, just keep to themselves and don't, sh- you know, occasionally share notes. I'm not saying share everything, but, you know, share notes and say, hey, so... It, this is my intuition on this thing, or this is my, my view, my research, my whatever. What do y'all think? 
<laughs> right. Well, and I, you know, some of it, I, I will admit some of it's my personality too, because as we all know, there's a little bit of trickster in there and there, I, I won't deny sometimes those, those, uh, knowledge bombs or intuition bombs that I drop are, are kind of me lighting the fuse like coyote on a, a roadrunner cartoon and tiptoeing away to see what'll happen, you know? So, you know, it is kind of, <laughs> there's a little Lokian sort of energy in there sometimes, you know, a little bit of Eris, you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but, but we need those tricks. I think it goes back to, to getting knocked off your base and altered states of consciousness. I, I've, um, had times where getting knocked off my base was the best thing for me, and it's something that that happened at con with the the uh, one of the the classes I went to with Glenn Brown and his brother, who is oh my god, definitely a Hayoka. Um, went around and did little things to mess with people during the presentation to kind of increase their awareness. There were parts of the presentation that if he hadn't done it, like taking taking my sheet. Uh, with all the references on it, if he hadn't taken my sheet, I would have paid less attention. Right? Yeah. No, that, that, that makes complete that, sense. I mean, being, I am, I am visual ADD, especially keyed to that that visual element. I would have tuned out at certain points where it would have been important to really listen. And it's really funny how that the little trickster came around, stole my paper, and went, "Where the hell did it go?" <laughs> and then went, "Oh, okay. Well, he's got it. I, I guess I don't have to worry about that now." Well, I think that's one of those little things that's not often talked about with shamanism and uh, hypnotism, that there's one commonality, at least, with between the two, and, um, and that's that it's important to be able to bring your client to an altered state, and sometimes that is done by, uh, you know, method, methods that are, are, are a little bit shocking or a little bit showy. You know, there, there's a reason why a lot of the shaman of old would use rattles and masks and all this other stuff. It, it is, there is certainly a spiritual component, right? The masks have a spirit, the rattles have a spirit. Mm-hmm. That is all there. I'm not denying that. But there's a level of showmanship which really pushes people out of the state of mind where this is not the day-to-day anymore. Like, you're refusing to let them think of the mask as just a mask. And, and that is a really powerful part of ceremony that's not often talked about. And that is, you know, like I said, it is something that it is shared in common with hypnotism. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that that's all shamanism is. I'm not saying that by any means. But there's an important element whenever you're doing this sort of work to, to taking people off of their normal base of operations where they're used to. Yeah, that's that's powerful work, too. I mean, just the the number of times where, and it, it can be as something as like you making a flip comment, and I, like I mentioned with the some of the rune readings I was part of, and everything clicks into place because of some offhanded smartass comment, mm-hmm. and everything just goes bink. That yeah, was it. and that sometimes that's how spirit speaks to us too, right? Because I don't always, mm-hmm. you know, I just think of a witty comment at the right time, and all of a sudden I realize, wait a minute, who put that in my head? Because that was more than just a little comment. Yeah, I think it's it's <laughs> it's really funny how how the, the the spirits and the gods in our lives, and sometimes the ancestors too, will insert something that means nothing to us, but everything to somebody else. Mm. Oh, completely, completely. You know, I, I don't know if you've had this with with ancestor. I'm sure you have uh, with ancestor work where mm. 
you're sitting with a client and their ancestors say something and it's just the right tone and it's just the right level and it's it's the right phrase and then their their the client's eyes light up and you know you've got somebody that they needed to talk to whether or not they really wanted to oh yeah i was doing uh, a couple years back i was doing a cleansing for a person and so she had an ancestral spirit come through really strong and i felt like it was a grandmother and i told her i said i think this is a grandmother and here's what they're telling me they want you to do that sort of thing there's a little bit of skepticism in their eyes of course and which can happen sometimes, especially in a, in a psychic fair sort of scenario. They're like, yeah, yeah oh, of yeah. course it's a grandmother. Of course it is, right? But I said, I all of a sudden got this really strong image in my head. And it's just kind of a jokey way of saying things. And I said, yeah, no, I'm not kidding here. Your grandmother's spirit's so strong, she could arm wrestle a bear. And the client says, wait a minute, what'd you just say? And I said, she could arm wrestle a bear. And she's like, why'd you say that? And I said, I don't know, it's just the the jokey way that popped into my head is saying it. She said, my grandmother used to arm wrestle everybody that came over to the house. That was her thing. All my, <laughs> all my grandfather's friends, all my dad's friends, everybody, everybody used to arm wrestle grandmother. And I'm like, well, there you go. Oh, uh, that's great. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. What do I say to that? That's just fantastic. I know, right? Like, how it's kind of hard to deny at that point in time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, skepticism is great and all, but Grandma just kind of reached through and gave you that image. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's such a silly image and such a silly way of phrasing things. I don't think I'd ever used it before or since, but there it was. And, you know, so it's one of those circumstances where I just thought it was a funny way of phrasing things, but nope. <laughs> Yeah, and it meant the world to your client. Yeah, exactly. It meant the difference between walking away and ignoring what you had to say and going, oh, oh, Grandma wants this thing. Oh, that's that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Well, you know, I, it's the same thing, though. I, I, if, I could, if I can turn this around for a second, when we've been doing mm-hmm. reading work, I, I always rely heavily on your readings, especially when you're doing rune work, because it's just... Uh, amazing some of the rune work that you do and how powerful it is and so what I really appreciate that is kind of the other end of the equation because especially if you're using those iron woods the iron runes the 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 messages are so cut and dry they are so straightforward like almost in your face straightforward (laughs) and uh, so I really do I, I appreciate that a lot as well so you know like I said it's still it's still that you know grass is greener on the other side different perspectives sort of thing I guess Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's funny. Sometimes my 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 dialogue with the runes is an actual dialogue. It's a back and a forth and a okay. So do you guys mean it in this way? Or you know, sometimes I just literally have to sit with the rune until a word or a phrase or an image pops up. Other times I have to. Um, it's like I don't have enough information and drawing another rune is necessary. I'm, I'm less apt to do that nowadays because I'm, I'm doing better at talking with them, but the, the back and the forth sometimes it needs another partner to explain, well, no, this is actually what I mean. And so sometimes there's a group collaboration even in a rune reading because, well, these are all spirits, and I'm having, and I'm having a one-on-one with, say, Tivas or or Ansu's, and I'm not getting the full message, and Ansu's is like banging its head against the wall trying to get this message through. Sometimes bringing in, say, oh, say I draw Burkana, there's an aspect of the message that gets drawn in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And so, like, to to me, that's that's a powerful part of the work is is having open dialogue, and sometimes the <laughs> and a lot of initial impressions are, I think, you know, we have intuition for a reason, and sometimes the dialogue I have with the runes is kind of like, no, 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 no. Sometimes it's just straight up, your first impression was correct, just say that thing. Yes, it doesn't need to make sense, just say the the damn thing. (laughs) (laughs) Say what we told you to say. Mm Mm-hmm. It kind of gets to that notion of, uh, I believe it was Rolling Thunder who said, uh, I'm a hollow bone for creator. Well, I mean, sometimes I'm... Yeah, that's a great way of expressing it. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that phrase. (laughs) <laughs> so do we uh, we want to take a minute here and tackle some of these questions that have been piling up on us yeah, yeah let's do that how do you how do you feel about launching into that well I, I want to start um, we had a question from Brian Hunt and I think that might be the quickest one to address so I'm going to go ahead and start with mm-hmm. that if that one's okay with you and please he, go he for wrote it. in asking us uh, trying to find some books on Native American religion and coyote and was looking for some advice there. Do you have any thoughts on that one? Um, although I have not read them myself, Vine Deloria Jr. always comes up when when you're talking about Native American religions in general. I, I want to really emphasize the S on the end of religions because not all Native cultures are one. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, looking at, especially if you can find authors from the tribe, that's probably best um, because approaching this as a single monolith isn't going to do you a lot of good. It might actually get in the way of, of accessing genuine information. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually going to take it from the, that angle as well, because it's important to understand um, that it's not all one. So like the books that I was thinking of are kind of compilations like that. So we can get examples from many different tribes. That was, that was always the direction I would go. And like with a lot of, a lot of work in this area, I would always start with the stories and the myths, right? Because that's uh, where we come to understand these energies and we can look at them a little more closely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reference section at your library and your, your local librarian will probably be your best friend on this because it's, it's you know, it, it's like any other spiritual journey. Having a guide makes the whole process a whole lot easier. Yep, exactly. And, you know, the the, the stuff that you're going to find is might, as, might actually be geared a little bit towards a younger audience because there's stories. Like the one I'm, I'm thinking of, there's one that's called uh, Coyote Speaks. And let me see if I got the authors here. Uh, Ari Burke and Carolyn Dunn, and that's a it's listed. It's going to be listed as juvenile nonfiction, but that's got various stories from various different Native cultures. And I was looking here in the Michigan area; it kind of surprised me to find, at least at one point in time, the author was, uh, I think, from. Uh, oh, if I'm looking at the right book here, da, 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 da. oh. We got the wrong tab up. Never mind. I guess that one's gone. There was one from a college professor that was here at Central Michigan University at one point in time. But uh, I also see that there's a book called Coyote Stories by Morning Dove. That's just a lot of examples from stories uh, from different cultures. So that that's a lot of where I would start. Yeah. Um, 
I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. And then, you, you know, once you get some of the, the stories down, once you figure out which particular branch you'd like to learn more about or which particular um, culture you want to learn more about. And, and keeping in mind that even within, like, say, Ojibwa societies, there are multiples you know, right. if, yeah, you, exactly. if you say, well, I want to learn about the Algonquin, well, you're talking about a really big language group. Like, <laughs> which Algonquin do you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the, the, the other part of the question was Native American religions. It's kind of the same uh, same deal where you're going to be spending a lot of time in the anthropology section and you're going to be doing a lot of different readings because there's a lot of things that approach stuff from different ways. Like, you know, some some groups are are going to be very much against a lot of the ancestor work because it's seen as attracting the dead or doing that sort of thing. And there might be other groups that are, that are very much in favor of ancestor work. So there's going to be a lot of diversity, and you're just going to have to explore that the, the old-fashioned way. Yep. And if, if you want to learn about Native culture, uh, access the current media sources they have. Like, oh, for one that comes to mind immediately is Indi- Indian Country Media Today. Um, that one, that one kind of sticks out and, and try your best to, to find contemporary native sources on things. Um, educate yourself on things like the Dakota XL pipeline or the line five work here in Michigan. Um, learn, learn about your local tribe. I, I honestly think starting with the local tribes to your area is the best way forward. Mm, that's, I would agree with that. And, and given that they are writing into our particular show, um, I think that there's probably a bent on having uh, shamanic education in there. And in that one, one of the old ones that I have that's a favorite is called Dreaming the Council Ways. And that's by Oki Simin Forest, O-H-K-Y-S-I-M-I-N-E Forest. And uh, she writes a lot from the... Mohawk and Iroquois traditions, but also has studied some with the Mongolian and a few other traditions. And uh, so I love the book. Don't get me wrong, but be prepared to be spending some time digging through it because um, it it reminds me of of the uh, movie Beetlejuice where there's the handbook for the dead and people are reading it going, how are you even supposed to make sense of this? (laughs) That book is a (laughs) lot like that. There is so much information with so many different layers that seriously, when I went through it for the first time, it was like read two or three paragraphs, sit it down for a day, (laughs) read five, six paragraphs, set it down for a day. I mean, it was, it was dense with information, but I encourage you to check that one out. That's one of my favorites. And I would not be surprised if you if you talk to a person who's in a tribe that they may not agree with anything a book has to say. Oh yeah. And it might be the book is completely bass backwards on a particular topic, or it might be the book is completely wrong, or maybe they were just mm-hmm. simply taught different. Um, and there are several native folks that I know of who have gone to different tribes, and they've all shared different teachings and oh, yeah. filtered it through their own experiences. So you know you've got folks in the the Ojibwa who do sweat lodges and have done Sundance and that might not have, you know, in the old times might not have been or may have been in a different form. So it's, it's worth pointing out that especially with the influences of things like the American Indian movement and other pan native efforts that there's been sharing of lessons and teachings. So, um, 
important to keep in mind that these are living traditions and oh, they, yeah, they will change with the people who live them. Yeah, if you look at our friend uh, who does some of the sacred fire tending that we know there, he talked about just even within here in the, the northern Michigan area, that different groups that he went to do the sacred fire for, they were taught different ways, had different traditions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a half hour away from his home, he had to do something differently than he would normally do it because that was the tradition of the area that he was in. Yeah. Uh, it was wild looking at all the, uh, when I went to a, uh, a, a rendezvous at uh, Wild Winds Buffalo Preserve a couple years back, when I was taught the um, the way to enter a sacred fire was in line with the Ojibwa teachings, and uh, I'm like, look, watching the, the person setting the sacred fire, and I'm like, isn't he setting this up backwards? Oh, he's from a different tribe. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. They do stuff completely backwards to what we do. Oh, all right, right. cool. Well, and it's important to realize, like you said, get to know your local tribe and your local people because um, if they're willing to share, which a lot of times people are, especially the, the very basic aspects of courtesy and respect, you have to realize that most of us are coming at this as as people who are not natives. So you don't want to be the person that is another colonizer. You don't want to be another person that is stealing someone else's tradition. You need to be taught the proper ways of manners and respect so you don't you don't become that person. And the only way to do that is to actually interact with the people that are holding these traditions right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And and truth be told, you know, unless you've got an elder who's who's generous and willing to share with you, your your first contact might it might be wiser not to be an elder because you might make a faux pas without mm-hmm. meaning to by mm-hmm. asking them questions and not having a proper reciprocation on hand. So it, yeah, it I, might be good to... Observe, too. Like, observe. Just watch. Watch, watch, mm-hmm. watch. Don't necessarily ask. Just watch. Because a lot of times, even um, elders of all traditions, that's how they transmit their knowledge is by having people watch. They're not going to sit down and explain every darn thing to you. Watch, learn, be open, come to it with an open and honest heart, and and you will find out a lot more than you thought you would. Yep. So, all right. Well, there's there, there's one. Look, we can scratch that off the list. Yay! <laughs> hey, thinking about native and native traditions, did you see the the big thing in the news there about the... Uh, the missionary being killed off a uh, North Sentinel Island. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, I was kind of amazed at some of the, well, okay, I wasn't, but I was at the same point in time that some of the, the feedback was so negative that those tribesmen should be punished and that sort of thing. Listen, they're trying to avoid, I mean, they might not realize it based on where they're at and where their, their level of, of technology is, but they're very realistically trying to avoid a genocide here. This guy rolling up trying to teach them about Jesus is all he's going to do is wipe out a good portion of the tribe with disease. I mean, how can that be anything other than self-defense? No, the Sentinelese, I believe, do understand this very well because the, the last time somebody came through, uh, I believe it was in the late 1800s, they stole a couple of elders and a couple of kids and all of them died. Like, the elders died, I think, within a week, and the kids died not that long after. They just wasted away because they have no immunities. They've been on this island for tens of thousands of years. Yeah, what is the, the... They're saying that that culture has been on that island 
for they're estimating 30,000 years. I hate to tell you people that's older than your Christianity is. Oh, by about a good oh, 38,000. Yeah, exactly. I mean, oh man, just why can't people leave well enough alone? Come on. It it it, it, it amazes me that the missionary didn't get the hint when a child shot an arrow through his Bible. <laughs> right, exactly. How about no? It's funny, you know, here's, and when I saw that, I mean, I know people are, might be upset, but I, I was like, I was like, I wanted to send, I wanted to send prayers of gratitude to this tribe's spirits, not even knowing who they are, but immediately realized, now nah, they just reject me too. I'm just going to keep these thoughts in my own head. But man, I am so glad I... I hate to be an awful person, but I really, I hope this really discourages further incursions onto that island. This is just not something that needs to happen. No. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that they got, what, maybe 150, 200 members of the tribe left that are healthy and on this island. Yeah. But they, they, they don't need outside Estimates, right. They're, yeah. That's all they can figure out with long re- range uh, uh, photographs and stuff, so... I mean, the, the, occasionally anthropologists are allowed on the island, but they are very heavily screened, and the the Sentinelese people deserve their sovereignty to be respected, just like any indigenous person. Mm-hmm. Any indigenous people, any indigenous tribe, respect sovereignty. And you know, I, I don't feel bad about this man getting killed. He intentionally dodged authorities. Mm-hmm. He intentionally ignored the, the explicit wishes of this tribe and then ignored warning shots. Yeah. Right. Um, I got into a debate on this on Twitter, which was my first mistake. Um, <laughs> Oops. Because somebody was saying, well, you know, how can, what, why would you use the word deserve versus justified? You know, and, and we went back and forth and back and forth and, and, I think that the the Sentinelese people were fully justified. Now, the the reason they were quibbling with me on deserve was, you know, somebody deciding that somebody has forfeited their right to life. And I'm like, well, you know, if if it's a choice between you genociding my people and me shooting you, I'm going to choose shooting you. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, (laughs) There's no balance there. It's not even a needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. It's, It's you're trying to kill me and you're, you know, whether or not you intend to is immaterial. You know, um, so I, I, I've seen this uh, around a couple of different sites and a couple of different social media platforms, and, and I just clap my hands and go, bravo, that's exactly what I think, you know, if I was in their position, I would have done. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, that's, it, it's so weird that these, all these, this story happened like so close to American Thanksgiving and then also, <laughs> um, you know, on the heels of like the the loss of land here in the United States that happened right on Thanksgiving. I was like, mm-hmm. all these stories are so back to back to back. It, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> you're, you're familiar with that one, right? You, you've seen that. One, oh, the right? Wampanoag. Yeah, exactly. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and real quick overview for those who don't know the story of the Wampanoag, uh, we have this false impression in our country that the first Thanksgiving 
was this great sit-down dinner between the natives and the pilgrims, and and they were coming at this from equal, uh, respectful sides, I guess. Uh, no, <laughs> no. The the natives the year previous had saved the pilgrims, the the uh, Puritans in particular, from starvation by showing them how to actually work with the land, and the Puritans returned the favor by a mass slaughter, and then held a Thanksgiving the day that it was over. So, now, the actual holiday of Thanksgiving was was put into place, uh, to wit, I remember, by Lincoln. But we have this false impression in this country that Thanksgiving is about the pilgrims and the the natives sitting down to a wonderful feast together. No. (laughs) The, The pilgrims were celebrating having wiped out a good chunk of the Wampanoag. And, and that is part of the true history of this country that we have to grapple with, right. that and we then, live on stolen land. And then here, right on Thanksgiving Eve, uh, the, the wonderful administration in charge decided to uh, reverse a decision to place 321 acres of, of land in the federal trust for the tribe. They're basically saying this tribe is not a tribe anymore. And they're taking that land away. So out of all the things that have been stolen all these years, now now the last acreage is being stolen. The tribe is uh, being basically written out of existence if they can. And it's not a not being a tribe anymore. So it adds justification to this tribe resisting any sort of outsiders, but also points out what we were talking about a minute ago about how we are the colonizers and so if you're going to approach native traditions you you just have to do it i I always think to myself that i have to do it as much of a passive position as i possibly can like i am i'm going to be as as a docile maybe is a different word i'm going to be as if, if i'm going to join in any of the ceremonies of local natives my job is to be the best guest I can be and to help as much as I can and and to really make sure that I know in my mind that this is not about me because there's been enough stolen from the natives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that we... I think there's there's two sides to this. So it's, it's not just about, well, you know... Uh, my ancestors are colonizers, settlers, what have you. It's also recognizing native resistance to these things, too. Hmm. The Wampanoag did not go quietly into that good night. Uh, they're still not all gone. They're still right, here. Yeah. There's they are still false... here. They're still protesting in Washington, D.C. Yeah, these these people haven't disappeared. They've been ignored. They've been lied to. The trees have been broken, hmm. but they're still here. It's important to not let the dominant narrative of you know the the glorified Native American from the past exist any more than the the false narrative of the oh the the, the Puritans were all nice and peaceful with people. Um, these are both false narratives. Yeah, this is, Native this people is are very much alive. Purely about the federal government trying to take away their recognition as as a tribe. Yep. That's really, what it boils down to. These are a living living. Uh, people with beautiful traditions and a longer history on this land than we have, and they're through paperwork trying to take that away from them. Good luck. They have better alliances with the spirits around here. Oh man, it's <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. Like I said, they're having those 
trio of things happening all within days of each other it was just a lot of mm-hmm. a lot to process sometimes yeah and and sitting back with it and going wow and really sitting with it and absorbing it and yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly ah well I hate to hate to do it but should we head on to the next topic then which one do you want to tackle next well I think that actually this this dovetails quite nicely um, of shamans ancestors and and genocide from the Anchorage press oh yeah definitely definitely I forgot about having that one on there (laughs) yeah and this one yeah on the list there yeah hold on a second let me let me call that one up to refresh my memory real quick you know, this is weird. I, I keep copying the links to, to look at them, and my web browser keeps wanting to take me back to the article about the uh, North Sentinel Island natives. Hmm. It's kind of funny. It's like that, that tab has come up three different times despite me trying to put other tabs up. Huh. Yeah. Are we done? Are we done with the topic? I don't know. I, I I thought we were. I do think it's a good transition to the next one here. Um, let me see there. But it's been a while since I wrote it or read it since we posted in the links there of shamans, mm-hmm. my ancestors, and genocide. It was an article on the Anchorage Press. Let me see if we can do the quick run through for it. Do you do you remember what we were talking about on that one? Oh, 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 I see. This is a lot about the uh, uh, the the schools and the indoctrination and trying to stamp out the cultural heritage, wasn't it? Mm, mm-hmm. Okay. I, I think his key point for me, just reading through this again, is oh, um, I don't have a PhD behind my name, but I know more about cultural genocide than most people here in Alaska do and more about it than most doctoral graduates anywhere on the planet. Like, it's important to remember this is an ongoing cultural genocide. This isn't done any more than their cultures are done. Like this is, there's still live issues. The residential schools did not close that long ago. Right, right. Yeah, in Canada, it was, what, 1986, like, I think, the last one closed in Canada. Mm-hmm. And there's still horrible things going on, like, before they're letting Native mothers have their kids, they're requiring them to, they're, they're demanding they sterilize Wow, that's crazy. I there's, yeah, there's just so much going on. I actually, I think what I'll do on this one is, um, the, the quote here in, in final analysis, the missionaries tried to stuff out my ancestral linkages but failed, and I'm still in touch and I'm very well comfortable with it, and that that's pretty much the the gist of the article. I think what we'll do on that one, Sarah, is if we'll post the link to that one. Uh, since mm-hmm. you and I both need to reread it, apparently. It's been a while. <laughs> and uh, we'll let everybody else take a look at that one themselves. We'll post a link on that one in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, this is this is definitely worth a read, just like a lot of the articles around these issues. Definitely. And, and I think he's right. I, I don't think we could do justice to, to what he has to say. Yeah, I mean, essentially, a lot of what I've been doing is rereading it here, and I don't think I want to do mm-hmm. that anyway. So, so we'll post the link for that one. Everybody can go have a listen to that one or a read of that one. It's a it's a pretty fascinating article. 
that my memory just doesn't retain apparently. So <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading the article and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. We got to talk about it. But I think we, I think I made that note two months ago before we started doing mm-hmm. all this massive string of interviews and it completely lost it in the process. So, yep. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? Right. <laughs> Share the link. <laughs> That's right. We got a, uh, a couple questions that come from a kind of a Northern uh, shamanic perspective. Do you feel like tackling either one of those? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let's do Wh- it. Which one do you want to go with first? Uh, I think Leafs would actually be uh, e- easier and quicker to get through. All right. Um, do you have the text in front of you? And I'll... I do. All right. This is so... from Leaf on Instagram. She was following uh, me and I th- believe Sarenth both, but uh, an interesting question here. So I'll let Sarenth take it away from here. So the question is, on a future episode of Around the Grandfather Fire, I was wondering if you and Sarenth could talk about and maybe explain a few words and concepts such as Filgia, Ond, Uther, Hammer, Huger, Müner, Lieke, or Liker, Hamingen, Urlog. I've seen them many times and read so many definitions and opinions. I'd really love to hear you guys discuss them. Thanks for the podcast, and love you both. Thank you, Leaf. Okay, so... understand that the concept of the soul matrix is probably a relatively modern phenomenon now in terms of how I explain it and how I understand it. Um, There's nothing in the the lore that says, this is the soul matrix. Um, You know, Morpheus isn't showing up and and asking if you want the red pill or the blue pill, and then when you get the red pill, you figure out the soul matrix. (laughs) The red drinking horn or the blue drinking horn. (laughs) So, um, I prefer the one with meat in it. Uh, <laughs> those are candy colors. I'm not so sure I trust either one. Um, uh, okay, so Philgia. So Philgia translates roughly to follower, and it means uh, the spirit or group of spirits that follow you, it, that might provide you wisdom, might provide you guidance. It depends on what culture you're looking at with what time and what time frame, understanding that most of the sources we have, and I'm going to put this as a boilerplate in front of all of this right now, understand this is all transmitted to us from Christians and translated by Christians. And if they're not Christian, they're atheist and translating from largely Christian sources. Generally speaking, we haven't had people who are in heathenry until relatively lately who engage in academia, translating this stuff and, and processing this stuff into our religions. And anyway, examples of those people would be like Galena and, and Raven Caldera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also the the uh, folks who kickstarted the modern heathen movement, such as the I'm going to butcher this Asatrar Gefelik. Uh, and others. So, getting to the concepts, Philgia means followers. I, I tend to gloss it as pretty much any spirit that will work with you, um, either as a mentor, guide, that kind of thing. Uh, when it comes up in readings, that's t- to what it tends to be is this is a spirit that's following you for some reason or another. And generally speaking, if it follows you for a long time, it might be an ancestor or it might be some sort of mentor or friend what have you or might be tied into your uh, kinship in which case I call that a kinfilgia kin who follow you 
So is that uh, is that the equivalent in, in the in the more modern parlance of a, of like a, of a spirit guide? Then was that kind of what that means? Like those 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 spirits that are willing to, to teach and mentor and help you find information and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They can also be related to uh, like the vorder, which is a gar- which translates to guardian. Um, I would gloss vorder as a kind of figure. Uh, others might disagree with me on that assertion. Um, but I kind of uh, have to gloss it that way because of what Philgia means. <laughs> um, Ond is sacred breath. It is analogous in my understanding to Chi, Prana, and similar expressions where spiritual essence and power is mingled with the concept of breathing and breath. Ah, so like all the sacred breath work that is part of the Peruvian traditions then. Yep. Yep. And by increasing your ability to do and to work with and to do deep breathing, to, you know, the, the old adage breath is life mm-hmm. applies here. Any work that you can do to increase your lung capacity will help your and grow, but also any, anything that you can put your breath to work to. Uh, you can make offerings of on such as to a fire when you're getting it lit. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that you you put your on into with focus and will is something that you can. You know, if you're if you're good at working with your on, you can cleanse something. For instance. Okay, Other. Other is the is related to Wode and Othin. And these are related to to madness and divine inspiration, hmm. and related to in in the case of Othar and the way I understand it is being able to go into altered states of consciousness. Uh, so, this is your ability to say engage in trance work, right. uh, to do deep meditative work, and some of it can be explosive. And somewhat, and somewhat, if not actually violent in how it manifests, such as by uh, the one of the methods I use is an engagement with my Other with uh, Sather, which is a form of, of magic, and I do sh- a lot of shaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find I find that shaking and rocking motions help engage Other. So if I'm well, when I was doing the poem at the beginning of the show, I was actually rocking in my chair after a drink of whiskey. And that's one of the, the ways that I, I connect with it. Um, so related to a lot of those different states of consciousness that we were talking about at the beginning. Bingo. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, and a lot of a lot of traditions, even when it's, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of movement involved, but there can be like, you know, just the shaking your head, dancing. There can be all kinds of different ways of getting in those altered states. But that's that's all connected to the author. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, yes, that is that is correct and accurate. <laughs> I, um, I'm making sure I'm understanding this stuff as well too. So this is no, this is I, I appreciate I appreciate the back and forth because it, it, if I just rattled off the definitions as I know them, you know, they might not be as connective. Mm-hmm. Um. So on and oath are kind of interplay in that you know you got to be able to draw breath to do the other work. I, I find that uh, breath work. Especially, for instance, rapid breathing can put me right into an Other state. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's one way that all of these things kind of interconnect. 
So some parts of the soul map are directly tied into the body. On is one of them. So if you're out of breath and you're trying to do spiritual work, it's probably not going to go so well because you've got this reservoir of energy that is depleted. Right. Yeah, and, that makes sense. Um, so you've got some aspects that aren't connected to your body but are still part of the soul matrix, like uh, Philgia is one of them. Um, Hammer is connected to your body, but it's also like your spiritual double. It's your astral double. It's uh, Hammer means shape. So... You know, when we look in the lore and somebody is called Hamramr, that means that their shape's strong. Uh, ah, okay. Yeah, I so, had, so I've had my own experience with this because, as you know, I, I, I come from things from very, uh, various different backgrounds based on not only how I was taught, but my, my genealogy um, and being a large part German. And so uh, some of Kelly Harrell's book, the Runic Book of Days, we were exploring the Hammer. And, and so I finally after many years, uh, uh, discovered what the shape of my Hammer was, which was kind of interesting. So, and it was interesting to me because, um, I don't know if I want to say the name of the animal now, but it, it was interesting. No. It ties together. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, there's a reason I'm reluctant. There's a, but there's a, it was interesting to me how certain animals can tie together different cultures uh, and and combined with the places that we live so it's very fascinating to me but that's a it's an interesting exploration because the the thing that's not talked about i think a lot of times in journey work and nicholas breeze wood who is uh, uh very well known in shamanic circles he always points out that for him journey work was always more like uh how did he put it? I'm going to use air quotes here because I don't know if this is exactly how he phrased it, but driving a drone vehicle. Like, it wasn't that he was totally immersed in experience, but part of him left for an experience somewhere else, which is what I was referring to at the beginning of the show. And mm -hmm. uh, it was very interesting to me that the, the Hammer is how that happens. That's one aspect of how that happens. That's, for me anyway, in my experience, the part that actually would to leave to go on some of that journey work. Is that yeah. correct assessment as far as where you're standing? So there is. There's there's kind of two aspects to it. So if you if you look at the Volsunga saga with uh, oh god, I'm gonna forget the other guy, uh, Sid and Fielty and I believe Sigurd. Uh, there's a passage in there where they talk about their their being hammer strong um, when they put on the wolf skins, mm -hmm. and it's so powerful it just takes them over. They have to get the, they have to take the wolf skins off and then burn them. Oh, to wow. stop transforming. Okay. Um, but there's also, uh, I can't remember which passage it is in the lore, but it talks about how Odin, and there's another pastor where it talks about how another person engages in Hammer work by lying down and appearing dead, which to me indicates um, trance states. Yeah, right. Okay. Just, so it also is noted in some say their work that, that this is what the, the and traditionally it's a woman that does the say their work known as a saith Kona or a, a man does who is a saith mother in that sometimes trans states are incorporated sometimes crafts such as oh, say knitting or weaving or tying together knots or what have you are incorporated so there's a lot of different ways to work with your hammer that are noted in the lore or can be looked at as working with your hammer in the lore mm -hmm. um the berserk, the berserker gang, and the Ulfhethnar were looked at as sending, as as embodying their their hammer when they went to war. 
So when they okay, got sure. when they when they frenzied when they berserked, uh, they were fully embodied in the, their Hammer was was in them and on them and was them. So there, there's a lot of different ways to understand and work with your Hammer, but the, basically it means it's your second self. Hmm. Okay, sure, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny how know. things are piecing together in my mind because the. Like oh. the well, like so, the the concept of of uh, of like taking a bear form sort of thing, right? Like doing the the berserker work. It all of a sudden occurs to me as you're explaining these terms that the hammer is the shape, and it's the the uh, breath work that fills that shape. I don't know it's something I got to mm-hmm. explore. It's just the way it popped into my head, I, it it all ties together. Yeah, so like screaming was a renowned thing that berserkers did. That's not that's not uh, uncommon to look at in the lore that they were loud and they were wild and gnashed their teeth and screamed. So yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, up next is the Moonir, the Huger and the Moonir, and these are related to Odin's ravens. Uh, thought and memory is what they're usually glossed as. There's other interpretations, but um, I usually go with thought and memory because it's to the point and simple. I've, uh, I've heard the argument that instead of memory, it might be more in- interpreted as as the the uh, poetic or creative self. Is there an argument for that? There is. There is. So so thought be you know, Huger being the more forward. The you know you're having thoughts, you know, whereas Munir is well you're you're sharing in memory. Well, these are passive versus active these are acts of creation versus you know the the things that you introspect on the things that you bring to the surface in your quiet moments it's noted in the lore that of the two when he sends uh Hunan and Munin abroad or Hugan and Munin abroad he's most afraid of losing Munin mm-hmm. um, you know so you might think of of, of Hugan and Munin as you know active thought processes active application of understanding and and things like that whereas Mooner might be looked more upon as as the collected wisdom you've accumulated experience right yeah that uh, makes sense. well it makes sense that odin would be, fear losing that one more after all he went and sacrificed an eye for one right right <laughs> I mean, you would hate to sacrifice an eye and then lose track of it oh man well it's a good thing that that you know mirror is holding right clear onto that for him. <laughs> he's just taking care of that eye for him <laughs> but uh, uh huger and Munir. i mean the, the thing to remember about a lot of these is that there's a lot of different understandings interpretations of how these interact and how these these forces affect uh one another so like if you have a like a loss of huger it might mean you know your thought processes might be getting in the way of forming experience mm-hmm. because you're, you know, like I talked earlier about my, my inner editor getting in the way of writing. Mm-hmm. So it might be that my, my Hooger is inter- interfering so much with my Mooner from actually taking the information, setting it down and going, ah, this is what we do with it. Um, I think, I, I think I understand when you're explaining it that way too, why, yeah, I can see why the argument is that it's also the, the Mooner's the creative side because all the stuff that we create is based off of things that we experience. We, you know, we take the nectar of many flowers and we make something else of it. And that, so I can see where those two are really tied together. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they, they almost always in art and depictions show up together. And they, uh, from every depiction I've seen on runestones up to the modern age, these two fly together. Yeah. Uh, except for maybe American Gods. I think that American Gods is the one instance I can think of where there's just one raven that I know of. Well, the other one was writing the book. Hmm. So. See, it was all meta. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that makes no, it No, I, I, I'm interested, too. I, I'm, I'm glad that you said that sometimes having an issue with these things can mean an overabundance of them as well. Because, I, you know, we all know people that are that are too lost in thought to, to get practical things done or too lost in creativity. I mean, like we said, that's an altered state earlier. You know, you can get into those states where you lose track of time while you're creating something. But if that happens consistently and you forget to sow and, and reap your crops, you might be in trouble. Oh, just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this this brings us to, to Likr. Uh, and Likr is, or Likr depending on the language you go with. Uh, Leaker is your your physical body. Uh, so D&D players might recognize this as lich. Hmm. Or you might you might have come across the, the word lich yard. Well, it literally translates to body yard or body enclosure. Uh, so Leaker is your body. It is your physical, physical body. body. Yep. So the, the how healthy you are, your your constitution score, if we can put it that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Yep, yep. And, and you know, it's since, since we're doing scores, you know, yeah, your, your mooner might be your wisdom, your your Hugo would be your intelligence. Right. Well, I, I do. Um, this ties into things that we've talked before on on Jaguar and the Owl about how when uh, a, a person dies, how there's all these different aspects, and the mm-hmm. the the physical body is part of your soul aspect that actually gets left behind on the earthly plane. Yep. Yep. And um, tying this into into our uh, interview with, uh, with uh, Nicholas Haney, um, in his book, he uh, notes at one point that uh, the difference between a cremated versus a non-cremated body is that uh, in, in his world, Sometimes the the body can still hook into networks, hmm. you know, like the body of a tree can hook into a network even if it's cut down because it's still got the hook ends there. Right. Okay. And I, I think the leaker can can operate much like that, which is why we would you know, and kind of of tying that concept in, uh, that's why we would put our our ancestors would frequently be put in burial mounds. Mm-hmm. Well, and you and uh, I have talked about before that at some point in time, I almost wonder if the, like, if we mark our graves with the stone, at a some point in time, the body's completely gone or, or uh, majority gone, and and does the, does that start to overlap with the stone itself? And that's a discussion that we've had as well that is still being explored. Yep, yep. And they did the. Uh, there's also the concept of you know tr- planting a tree on the body, mm-hmm. and. That was actually an intentional form of, of kind of providing a new leaker. So, uh, if you think about it, because it would give the spirit somewhere to go post mortem, post decomposition. Right. Fascinating. Yeah. So, uh, up next is Haminga. Now, this is this tra- translates roughly to group luck. Um. Now, this 
soul part is something you build with other people. Uh, and I'm going to kind of contrast it with another one called Megan or Magen, uh, M-E-G-I-N or M-A-E-G-I-N. Uh, M-A-E-G-I-N is the Anglo-Saxon. M-E-G-I-N is the Old Norse. Um, Megan translates roughly to personal power, uh, personal luck. Haminga it translates roughly to group luck. It can also, in some cases, refer to a chieftain's luck, which then influences the the whole. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. And luck here isn't just oh, I roll a die and it comes up sixes or twenties. Um, it's also a, a person's power that they can project, that they can get things done with. It's it's their will made manifest in the world and in the spirit world. Um, a chieftain with good Haminga could in- inspire his troops and lead them to victory by force of his Haminga and the force of his Megan. Um, a very big old book that explores this is Culture of the Teutons. It is an exhaustive read. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I, think uh, I read it. it. We can see a ton of real-world examples of this, though, around us every day. I mean, just mm-hmm. from, you know, your group dynamics at work to to sports teams to that sort of thing about how, um, you know, there's even a, a, a English uh, phrase, you know, one bad apple spoils the bunch. It's one of those things where how one person within a group actually affects the entire group. Yeah, this is not just the province of, of chieftains. This is... You know, the good social order being maintained. This is everybody pulling their weight. This is everybody keeping to their oaths, which is a huge thing in heathenry and the northern tradition, uh, because that builds up your Megan and it builds up your Hamingia together. These are, are mm-hmm. not divorced concepts from each other. You know, your Megan being your personal power suffers when you break oaths, and it hurts everybody around you. But likewise, when you keep them, it helps. Yeah, I can see so, I can see so many representations of this on physical world and the spiritual world that it, I, I completely understand how that ties together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, the, the the last one that they have here is Urlog. Now, this also I I, the, I gloss this as Urther because uh, Urther uh, the old law is what Orlog or translates to. So. I gloss Orlog, the old law, as different from, I'm sorry, uh, Weird and Urther. Uh, weird is the Anglo-Saxon, Urther is the Old Norse. Um, but anyway, Orlog and, and Weird are different from one another. So Orlog is like your personal string in the tapestry of Weird or Urther. So if you're just this one little string, the, the beginning, middle, and end is your Orlog. And you might weave yourself into the tapestry in one way or another. And so, yeah. Um, the process of doing that is individual. Whereas weird is kind of like the overall tapestry, and this is how you fit into things. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes complete sense. And thank you for uh, uh, going through those. I, it's... Um... It's a lot easier to converse about some of these concepts than it is sometimes to read them. Yeah. Yeah, especially uh, with some of the definitions and stuff. It, it's just easier to explain it in person. Exactly. So I'm, 
I really appreciate Leaf for, for bringing these questions forward. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you, Leaf. And, uh, uh, actually, I think some of that conversation ties into our last question. Do you feel like we have? Mm. Do you want to take the time to tackle this last big one that we've got on our plate? Yeah, why not? <laughs> All right. Do you want to read through that one as well? Oh my lord! Or do you want me to read it out? Uh, no, you go ahead. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, look, the bus. No. Um, so this is from our friend Brian in Denmark, and Brian has sent us some very interesting questions over the over the years and some fabulous pictures and insights into what's going on over there in Denmark. And so we got sent the following question. Uh, Hello, Sarah and James. I've been into the underworld of old and it was awesome. The other day I took a trip to see some burial mounds, also known as barrows or passage graves. I've wanted to visit them for some time now, so I had some spare time and I just went just to see if it was possible to go inside them. When I came to the first one, I saw two entrances, so I looked to see if I could spot the inner chamber. I checked the gates, which luckily weren't locked. So in I went, and what a sight. After going through the passage to the burial chamber, I came to a rather large room with a huge rock on all sides, with smaller flat rocks between them. And in my mind, I went, ritual! I had to say to myself before I got too excited, yeah, that would be awesome, but I have to ask for permission first, right? Permission. I walked about the inside of the chamber, took some pictures, talked to the rocks. I don't know why, but I just felt like it was the right thing to do. Telling them how awesome this room was, how pretty they were, and what a wonder this place was. Went back outside and looked into the other passage, which led to a smaller chamber further in the hill. After seeing how narrow and small it was, I rejected the idea of going into that passage. I'm not going to get stuck in that narrow passage, not knowing how far it is. And sometime walking around the outer hill, I drove to the next barrow. The same thing happened. Ritual, my mind went. The chamber in the next barrel was even larger, and two small sitting rocks on each end, which was very cool. So now, my question is, what do you think is the best approach to these barrows and passage graves? Since I won't be able to adopt them like I did the other burial mound, and they are uh, the type known as dolmens, I would only visit these barrows and sit inside the chambers on rare occasions. It's more time-consuming to get to that deep, rich, and fulfilling, uh, oops, where'd it go? Deep, rich, and fulfilling contact I have with my adopted dolems. While I still care for, they have uh, been giving me so many great and joyful moments. And that, that refers to an episode of the Jaguar and the Owl where we were helping him to uh, figure out how to handle these barrel mounds, especially adopting one for himself that, and, and taking over the care of it. Um, I've done some thinking up of my own, and I've come to with this. Go to the chambers, bring some candles, and meditate, or just sit and listen to the place, the spirits, and the stone. I feel if I am welcome, maybe do a small prayer and thanks and a wish of further contact. My wish at the end is that I can use these sacred sites for deep ancestor rituals, uh, maybe some knife hem rituals, and something like that. Mind these graves are truly ancient, 4,500 to 5,000 years old. They are built between... 3,500 and 3,000 BC and uh, what's your take on this? Any thoughts or ideas are more than welcome and greatly appreciated. So, that's a lot to tackle. Oof. I know it, right? But those sound amazing. Yeah, and and his his pictures of of these barrel mounds are gorgeous. I would love to visit them. Um... 
Oh, a, a small note, though, that both barrows have been emptied and been restored because they are in danger of collapsing. So it doesn't, it's not like he's stepping on, on, on the remains of physical bodies at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, That's the, an, an important note, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would, I, I think in some, in some cases it might be might, mm, more scary, more impactful, maybe less. I don't know. Um, if, if, you, if you had the bodies right there. But I, I'd say either way, it's a, it's a place for the dead. So I, I personally am like, and, and maybe he can answer the, the question of, well, have, have the spirits of the dead absorbed into the rocks or not? Have they become one with the, the dolmen? <laughs> I'm curious to see what he finds out. Right. Uh, I think, I think his, uh, I think his his, his uh, intuition here is spot on. Bring some candles, meditate, or just sit and listen to the place. Uh, if you're going to bring candles, make darn good and sure that no wax spills because of the age of these things, and just being a good guest, I guess, in in my view. Um, I, I think that. Uh, I think that his his basic idea here is to do a small prayer of thanks and wish a further contact is the right way to go, um, especially since it's it's so old. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the, wow. the the only things that I would add, I think I think Brian, that you're completely heading at it the right direction. The only two things I can think about maybe adding would be. Um, a, possibly, when you're trying to figure out whether you are welcome to do ritual there, not just, let's resort to some basic divination or have mm-hmm. someone do some divination for you. You know, it's one thing to trust your intuition and trust through what you think spirit is telling you, but I am, I am a fan of verify, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that you have done, Brian, such excellent work adopting and taking care of a barrel mound already that ask those spirits if they can help you by making introductions and letting the spirits of these other mounds know what a good person you are, how you care for them, ask them if they can help you with introductions and, 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 uh, paving the way, so to speak. Yeah. That's a fantastic, that's (laughs) yeah, that, Yeah. Because you, you, you have put your heart into taking care of the, uh, the barrel mounds that you've adopted. And we know, we've, we've seen the pictures, we've got messages from you, so we know those spirits are all appreciative. And, and I think by simply having those spirits talk to the spirits of the larger mounds and passages and saying, this is a good person, and if he wants to do ritual here, it's for, it's for good reasons, it's got good... Uh, uh, energy behind it that that that's the perfect way of introducing yourself and and building goodwill it's one of those things where a friend introduces you to a friend sort of thing yep and if, if nothing else um ask some of the the gods that you've worked with in accordance with your mound work um <laughs> yeah so I, I i really honestly don't have much more to add to that uh, i think Sorry. i think jim nailed it on the head <laughs> Didn't mean to make that such a quick conversation there. No, I mean, uh, I, I pretty much agree with every. I agree with everything you've said. I think that his his intuition's spot on. I mean, he's done this work before. So, you know, if this was somebody new coming at, I'd be much more like, eh, do a lot more divination, make sure this is actually yours to handle. I mean, he's worked with barrel mounts mm-hmm. on his own soil, so it's it's not like he's inexperienced. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, we, we at this point in time, we trust your experience, you know, that 
and I think you should trust your own experience too. It's just a matter of, as you've already intuited and worked out for yourself, it's just a matter of taking the proper steps. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think that uh, if, if you're concerned about doing offerings, um, do them outside the barrel mound. And the, the, the practical reason is because you don't want to uh, introduce anything that'll destroy the barrel mound or cause it to decay. But um, also just uh, putting it outside can also let the landvetir know that you know they're going to be honored as part of this process too. Mm-hmm. And you and might even just consider, might even consider making uh, making this a multi-part process. Like yep. the first time, you're just gonna you're you're gonna come, you're gonna ask the spirits for the introduction, and you're gonna leave an offering, and that's it. The next time you come back, you might do divination to see if you could do a ritual inside, and maybe it's the third time that you come back before you actually do ritual. That way, you're not busting in like a guest going we're about to have a party let's go yeah i think the the three feels right to me um i mean you you might find that they are very hungry there's there you might find that they are extremely eager for ritual and more work to happen in there that might completely be something that happens but that still doesn't necessarily mean that you need to 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 rush things yeah, let me let me just. Yeah, that was an aspect of it I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, if if these dead haven't been worked with and they are hungry, mm-hmm. you may not want to do ritual with them to start off with. You might want to get them nice and fed before you raise a bunch of energy yeah. and put your presence among them because they might look at you and go, "Hey, that was a good snack." But uh, this is the only person that you know, paid attention to us this particular way for a while. We better mm-hmm. we better grab while we can. Instead, you want to take some time. And they've had some offerings, and the land vatir have been fed, and and you've got good energy, and you've got re- good rapport with them, and uh, a good uh, references from the barrow mounds you've already worked with, and and everybody is then um, not so not so hungry for these things to happen. And and if the opposite is true, if they're not like super hungry for it, but it's, at the same point in time, you're not you're not then crashing the gates as a as a party guest, you know what I mean? Then if, if, if it's not like they're super eager and hungry, then at the other point in time, you might have to build trust. They might have mm-hmm. to take the time to get used to you being there because no one's done this sort of thing for a while. So there's a lot of reason to say, take this as, as multiple visits. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just take your time. I mean, they've been there since 4,500, 5,000 BCE. Uh, time's on your side. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Not going to get up and run away on you, probably. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's that's such powerful work. It is. It's huge. It's huge. And as Sarah and I were just talking about a minute ago, there's a, there's, you know, just because they've been cleaned out doesn't mean that some of those aspects haven't just literally seeped into those stones and the stones have been enlivened and become more aware as spirits. So just making offerings outside in the grass where it'll soak down into the soil and into those stones and into the, the, the land vatir, that sort of thing, it, it all has a huge impact. Yeah, and... <sighs> wow. Uh, it It... The, the fact that you can visit these ancient sites and you actually have access to them is, is nothing short of amazing to me. And that you can actually do this work. Ugh. Oh, I know. I wish I could be there with it. Uh, uh, it's just, wow. That is, I don't have words. Yeah, no. Blessings to you, Brian, for doing this work. This is really important mm-hmm. work that needs to be done. 
and uh, we we are really grateful that you're doing that. Yeah, thank you, thank you for doing this work. That is powerful, holy work. Please keep it up. Please keep us informed. Let us know how things go. And if you need divination, you know our email is open. <laughs> that's right. Send us a line. You know what, Sarah, I think that's probably a good spot to wrap. That is a good high note. I think we should call it a show. Yep, I agree. So thank you to both the Bryans and to Lee for sending in questions. And if you guys have questions out there, send them in to us. You can send it through the Anchor app with your own voicemail. You can you can email us. You can send it through a Twitter, however you guys want to get us the questions. And uh, we will eventually get around to addressing them. <laughs> <laughs> really we looking do, forward to it, folks. Yeah, we do have some good interviews coming up soon. We're trying to get the, the books lined up for that. But um, anytime you send us questions, we really appreciate it. We like hearing from you. We, we like uh, knowing that you're out there and that, that our voices are, are helping you in some way or another, even if it's just a few minutes of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you, if you don't necessarily have questions, but you have links you want us to check out or, hey, does this sound good to you guys? Do you have opinions on this? Cool. Throw us links. Throw us questions. You know. <laughs> As you've heard from previous shows, it does not all have to be shamanically related. Just if you think yep. it, if you fits either one of our personalities or something we'd be interested in, or, uh, send it our way. Yep. All right. That well. That thank you everybody for joining us once again around Grandfather Fire. And uh, on behalf of Sarenth, uh we will uh, look forward to talk to you next time.
Take off that dumb 